And in, um, all, uh, in all seriousness, I do want to thank Becca for allowing me, or at least offering to let me use her Bible. But I also want to thank Malcolm for letting me use his. I can read this one easier. So I'm going to uh, go with this, this Bible this morning. And um, we're going to finish this series that we've been in since Easter, titled I Am, which is just, as many of you know, if you've been here over these last few weeks, as we've looked at uh, a few, four of the seven I Am statements that we read in the Gospel of John. And so we're going to close uh, today, or finish the series, I should say, with Jesus' words concerning light. And so we're going to pick up in John chapter 8, beginning at verse 12. We're just going to read a, a few verses here. But if you have your Bibles open, I would encourage you to keep them open, because we're going to kind of go a little deeper into this chapter. But we'll begin at verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. There's our, our focal words this morning. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from and where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, Where is your Father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would also know my father. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area, near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him, because his time had not yet come. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, speak through your word and through these words to our hearts. And draw us close to the light, the light that is the life, and that is Jesus Christ. We pray in his holy name. Amen. So, Bible trivia, quick Bible trivia. What is the first command that God gives in all of the scriptures? Anybody know? Be fruitful and multiply. Well, that is one of the early commands. Yeah, to us, right. That's his first command. Be fruitful and multiply. Okay, that's good. Um, but actually, there's one I'm thinking before that. Not, it's not a command to us. It's not a command. So I, maybe let me clarify that. The first command Jesus spoke. There you go. Let there be light. Let there be light. So, so you're right. The first command he gives us, be fruitful and multiply. But the first command he speaks is let there be light. At the very beginning of creation, God separates the light and the darkness. Jesus speaks into that. I am the light of the world. Now, we, we understand, we know inherently uh, the importance of light. We know the danger of, of darkness. How many of you have ki as kids were afraid of the dark? How many of you as adults are afraid of the dark? <laughs> I mean, there are times you ought to be. 
There are times there are dark places and things because darkness conceals, it hides, it can be intimidating. And it's amazing the difference that a little light makes. And, and sometimes we experience that in significant and real ways, sometimes in, in more um, superficial ways or, or less serious. Uh, Lynn can testify, I can testify, Kimla can testify. Anybody that comes in this church facility at night can testify the intimidation of a little darkness. Uh, especially in this building, because this building was built backwards. If you don't know this, um, one of the, the quirky things about this is that the door most people come in, if you have keys, and, is this door. But the light switch is over here. <laughs> so that means if you come in at night, you're navigating this stretch in the dark. Now, it doesn't sound like much, but most of you know how difficult, you, you know, you've done that in your bedrooms or your homes at night where you're doing the, you know, you're kind of walking with the force kind of thing, you're trusting, and, and run into that. But a little bit of light is all it takes, a little bit of light in the hallway, a little bit of light on your phones, something to just illuminate the darkness. Well, Jesus uses this image. You know, God created light from darkness at the beginning. Jesus uses this image in a spiritual truth when he says, I am the light of the world. He would use this when, when that voice that would appear to, um, to Paul, to call Paul, um, to change him from Saul to Paul, from a persecutor of the church to an evangelizer, to a, 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 to a messenger of the gospel. It says, Jesus says to him, I am sending you to the Gentiles that you may call them out of darkness into the light. So it says in Acts, that you may call them out of darkness into the light, out of the darkness of Satan into the, into the light of God. So, so there's this importance of understanding the significance of walking in the light, being called into the light. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The interesting thing, though, is he says this in the context of an experience that he's had. We pick up scriptures, and anytime we read scriptures, and I say this all the time, we, we read portions, we read sections, we read a few verses, we, we run the risk of, of remembering that this happened, there's situations, there's circumstances, there's events that are happening around the things that Jesus says. There aren't too many times in the scriptures where Jesus just teaches um, kind of um, independent of, of experience or things that are happening. Jesus drew upon the events and the people around him. And that's what happens in, in this chapter in John chapter 8, or in this chapter of the gospel, John chapter 8. And that something significant had just happened prior to Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. And it's a significant encounter he has with someone. And that someone, if you're familiar with the story, is the woman caught in adultery. It is the woman caught in adultery. And you've got to understand that story. I think we've got to fully grasp the depth of that story to understand why Jesus immediately then says, I am the light of the world. Because I believe it's in connection with what has just happened. And when we understand that story in relationship to what Jesus is saying here, and we get a wonderful and a deep picture, again, as I've said each week in this series, of who we are and who God is. And there's three components, if we want to simplify the story, three components I want to look at this morning for a few moments. And that is what we learn about law, what we learn about love, and what we learn about light. Well, what we learn about law, what we learn about love, 
and what we learn about light. And we're going to start with law. And here's the truth. The law convicts us of our sin. The law convicts us of our sin. Let's go back to that story of the woman caught in adultery. And if you're not familiar with it, here's your homework. Go home after worship and read the first 11 verses of the Gospel of John. But in that story, as Jesus is teaching, it says that some Pharisees, some keepers of the law, they brought a woman to Jesus who had been caught in the act of adultery. She had been caught red-handed, doing something she should not have been doing. Now, don't lose sight of the fact that no guy is dragged with her. She didn't do this alone. She wasn't by herself committing adultery. She was with somebody, and there's no mention that he is dragged before the religious authorities. And if you think, well, that's a double standard, you're absolutely right. It completely is a double standard. But understand, this was not just about her sin. This was about an opportunity to trap Jesus. They wanted to trap Jesus. They bring this woman to him. And again, allow the story, allow yourself a few moments to get caught in the scene. Because you need to begin to identify with the moment that this woman is in. She's caught in adultery. She's dragged before the religious authorities. Some Bible scholars even believe she may have been dragged right out from the act itself. So this is a moment where who knows what she's wearing or how she's clothed or how she's covered. But it has to be humiliating. It has to be frightening. It has to be terrifying. Because not only is, is she facing the judgment of this, this mob, she's not only facing the judgment of these religious authorities, she's not only facing the public judgment of her community, she could be facing death. Because the law of Moses said adultery could be punished by being stoned, by being executed, if you will. And so they bring her to Jesus because they want to trap him. Because if Jesus says, yes, she is guilty of the law, she is guilty of violating the law, she must pay the punishment of the law, that means she must be stoned, then they can turn around and say, look, Jesus is not as loving as you all think he is. He's not this, this loving, compassionate guy that, that was the reputation that he had. But on the flip side, if he says, no, don't convict her. No, it's not that big a deal. No, let her go. Then they can turn around and use that against him and say he is not defending the law of Moses. He is saying it is okay to commit adultery. And that's really what they want to get him on. That's really what they want to kind of um, hold against him. And so this event isn't primarily even about the woman, though she is a pawn in it, but it's about what can we do to, to set Jesus up. And Jesus does something remarkable. But before we get to that, don't lose sight of the fact that she is guilty. The law is very, very clear. She has committed adultery. She has done something wrong. And they want to use that law to highlight her sin. 
But what about ours? What about ours? Because what the law also says to us is that we are guilty. Now, there's nothing that gets more pushback uh, that, that I sometimes will say or talk about in sermons or teaching than the idea that none of us are as good as we really want to be. In fact, in the light of the Scriptures, none of us are really good at all. Now, that sounds harsh, and people will say, well, but, but, but I'm a good person. I, I do good things. It's, it's, the, it's the, one, the one thing that most people will say in light of, of, um, of God's judgment or the fear of God's judgment. Well, I'm good. I do good things. I've lead, led a good life. But what's your barometer? What's your standard? Because, see, here, when we go back to the law, we realize that we're not nearly as good as we think we are. This past week, some of the, the, the staff, Julie and, and Ethel and John and I, have started reading uh, through the Bible together. And when I say together, I mean we're reading the same passages every day so that we can, when we come together and do some planning meetings, we can begin to, um, to talk about some of the things that we're reading through the Scriptures. So we just started this week, and we picked up Deuteronomy. It's a two-year Bible reading plan. And so we just picked up where the, the date said pick up, and that was Deuteronomy chapter 4 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. Anybody know what's in Deuteronomy chapter 5? Anybody want to guess? Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5. That is the law. Now let me ask you this. Think about the commandments. For those of us that want to push back and say, but you know what, I'm pretty good. I don't do anything bad or, or terrible. Let's talk about God's standard. Let's talk about the Ten Commandments. Let's talk about number nine. Thou shalt not bear fault witness against thy neighbor. Or we simplify that and to thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not lie. Um, show of hands, how many of you have ever told a lie? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, you now can, okay? You've just qualified yourself, okay? We've all told a lie. We've all told a lie. Every one of us, every single one of us have told a lie. According to the law, you should not lie. All right, how about this? Let's see how brave you really want to be. How many of you have ever stolen something? Now, Gareth, you don't have to get so excited as you raise your hand, but I appreciate your honesty. Have ever stolen something? I remember the first time I ever stole something. I was, I don't know, seven, eight, old enough to know better. It was at the convenience store down the street from our home in Jacksonville, and it was a little one-cent piece of bubble gum. And I didn't have a cent, but I wanted the gum. And, and I remember it. To this day, that moment when I like knowing I shouldn't, but when I crossed that threshold and my desire for what that was overtook my desire to do what I knew was right. And, and I would love to tell you that's the last time I ever stole anything in my life. I'd love to tell you that, but then I have to go back to the lying commandment. So, um, <laughs> so the thing is, we've, we've probably all, maybe you haven't, but I would say most of us have stolen something. All right, now let's talk about another. See, here's one. Number seven is one that we tend to, to think, okay, most of us are probably okay with. Do not commit adultery. Do not commit adultery. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this one, all right? I don't, I, don't, I don't want you to say this. 
But, but I'm going to venture, I, and I know some of us here, let, let me not make light of something. I know some of us have been through that road. Some of you have been, either have been through that experience or have had that experience. And please, I, I don't make light of that at all. I don't at all make light of that. But the reality is, statistics tell most of us probably haven't done that. Or have we? Because we think, okay, that's what I'm good at. Right, you know what I'm going to. Dave knows what I'm going So what does Jesus say? He says, if you have ever looked lustfully at another person, you have committed adultery in your heart. Now do we want to raise our hands? <laughs> How many of you, and again, don't have to, but have never looked lustfully at another person? You know, here's my point. This is what I want you to know. According to the definition of the law, no matter how good you think you are, based on that test, you are a line-stealing adulterer. <laughs> you can go out today and say, my pastor told me today I'm a line-stealing adulterer. <laughs> because the law convicts us of our sin. The law says, when I was a kid, my mom used to, to talk about the fact that that Jesus was God's standard, God's desire for us. That's who we were created to be like. We're not created to be Jesus, but we're created in that image, and, in that, and, and yet we, we fall so short. The law shows us how far short of God's plan, God's expectation, God's will for us, how far, fall, far we fall short of that. So the law convicts us, but God's love, God's love forgives us. God's love redeems us. And that's what we begin to see in the story of the woman caught in adultery. They bring her to Jesus, and they say, what should we do? And Jesus doesn't, because Jesus outsmarts him at every turn, he doesn't fall into their trap. He doesn't say do this or don't do that. But if you know the story, it says that he began to write in the sand. And we don't know what he wrote, but some scholars think, based on some of the Greek words, that he might have been writing words that were descriptive of some of the sins of those who were in the crowd. We don't know for sure. But when he's finished doing that, he stands up and he says the famous words, let you who is without sin cast the first stone. And the interesting thing is the Greek doesn't just mean without sin in the sense of that you haven't done anything. The word also implies those of you that have never even wanted to sin cast the first stone. You want to take that to a next level. Let you who is without sin cast the first stone. And one by one they drop their stones and they begin to walk away. Because they learn something in that moment that we need to learn, and we know inherently, but we need to be reminded of, it's a lot easier to pick out the sins in somebody else than it is to see our own. Jesus teaches about that, doesn't he? Talking about taking the speck out of your brother's eye while there's a log in yours. It is a lot easier. We can see the sin in some. I can see the sin in your life much easier than I can see the sin in mine. I can highlight and say, wow, that's an awful thing they did, an awful thing he did, an awful thing she did, before I'm willing to be as introspective about the sins in my own life. And we all do this. We all do this. We all, absolutely. You know, in fact, how many of you say it's a good idea that we should obey the laws, that we should all obey the laws, the, the law, not break the law? Really, not all of you are raising your hand seriously? <laughs> 
All right, how many of you think we should just break laws randomly? It's okay. There are suggestions. All right. Point, point. All right, how many of you never exceed the speed limit? Some of you don't. I know there's some of you because I get behind you on 301. And you drive me crazy. And I see your church stickers on your car and I can't honk at you. The, the point is we do. I mean, that's a, that's a super, but we do. We do that in, in much more significant ways in our life. We are very, very good at pointing out the sins in others without necessarily the seeing the sin in ourselves. And so Jesus doesn't say the law doesn't con- convict. He doesn't say she hasn't done anything. He says, I think implicitly she has. But those of you that have never done anything, you go ahead and you throw the stone. You throw it first. And there's no stone to be thrown. Because what he's doing is he is extending to her God's grace. Love reveals God's grace. The law reveals our sin, but his love reveals the grace. He's not condoning it. But he says something to her that I think are some of the most loving words that you will find in all of the Gospels. When everybody has left, he looks at her. This woman that's been humiliated, that is scared out of her mind. I mean, you have to again grasp the scene. She's probably shaking in her boots if she has boots on. I mean, she's terrified. Her whole life is in this moment. And he looks at her and says, who condemns you? And she says, no one, Lord. And then he says this then neither do I condemn you. The law reveals our guilt, but God's love. You know, the law is so high that we can't attain it, but God's grace is so powerful that we don't have to because he lifts us up, and that's what he does in that moment. He extends to her God's grace. There are so many of us here today that need to hear the word of God's grace because we've come in and we are feeling convicted. We are feeling that we are what other people say we are. We are feeling we are what we have done and the mistakes that we've made and the shortcomings that we have committed. What we need to hear. We're not what we've done. And we are not who other people say we are. We are who God says we are. And God says, neither do I condemn you. God looks at her and he extends love. You, as I've talked before, are mine. That's what he's saying You are mine. God's love, Jesus' love reveals God's grace. And we, some of us here, need need to hear that. That it is not that you have not fallen short, but we all have. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we've been extended God's grace. He looks at us. He looks at you. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Christ came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So God's, or, or Jesus' love reveals God's grace. But then there's that third point, and that is that God's light is our hope. God's light is our hope. Because there's one other thing that happens there. It's the part of the story that gets glossed over more than any other. Is that after he says to the woman, neither do I condemn you, he says something else. He says, now, now, Go and sin no more. Now go and sin. He doesn't say go and just try not to do it again. 
He doesn't say, well, I know how hard life is, and I know things have been rough, and you had a rough childhood, and you've had rough experiences, and your marriages haven't worked out, so just try not to do it again. He doesn't look at us that way either. Neither does he condemn us, but his light calls us out of darkness into a new way of life. His light illuminates our path in a new way. When we have experienced God's grace, when we've heard those words, neither do I condemn you, he calls us into his light, the light of life, that we will no longer walk in darkness. And in that moment, that woman caught in adultery, she not just experienced the fact that Jesus was the light of the world. I want you to understand, this becomes deeply, deeply personal. In that moment, Jesus became her light. Jesus became her light, as Jesus wants to be your light and my light. Because a little bit of light chases away the darkness. A little bit of light chases away the darkness. And what he calls us to is a life that no longer needs to be defined by our shortcomings or ruled by our failures. It is a life that no longer needs to hide in the shadows and cling to the behaviors that corrupt us emotionally, spiritually, and physically. So many of us here today, you're struggling with something. You are struggling with something that you don't want anybody else to know about. In your relationships, in your um, opportunities in the private moments of your life that you don't want anyone to know about. And you're feeling that defines you. That you can't do it. You can't make it. You can't overcome by yourself. In many ways, I think Jesus would say you can't. But he'd also say you don't have to. He says, yes, the law condemns us. But his love fills us with his great, and his light calls us to a new way of life. We need to embrace the light of Christ. He looks at you and he looks at me and says, not only am I the light of the world, but I desire to be the light of your world. The light of your world that calls you out of darkness. That you don't have to stumble along this path anymore. That's what Jesus offers. A little light that brings a lot of hope into our lives. Yes, the law, but don't forget the love and the light. Brothers and sisters, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. The question is, have you allowed him to be the light of your world? Let's pray. Lord, help us to hear your invitation today. Help us to hear your words of grace you don't convict us, you don't condemn us, but you love us, you've redeemed us, and you've called us to the light of life, that is the light of Christ. There's a lot of us here today, Lord, that we're carrying a lot of burdens, and we've let the world define who we are, we've let our sins define who we are, we've let our failures define who we are, but we have not allowed your voice to define who we are, your love to define who we are your grace to define who we are. Help us to hear not from the voices of darkness, but from the light of life, and that is Jesus. And open our hearts to you, to your presence and to your grace. We pray it now and always in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.